Now you'd experience the full power of this podcast. Hey guys, before we get into today's episode, I just had a few quick words. Seeing as we're still stuck in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic, I hope that everyone is staying safe and healthy. And keep washing those hands. I know that things are pretty tough right now for a lot of reasons, and I just wanted to say that if anyone needs somebody to talk to, feel free to reach out to me on my Twitter or email through the links in the episode description. It's just so important to never feel alone in this tough time, and I just want to make sure that you guys know that I'm here for you. Also, seeing as we're stuck indoors with not much to do, try telling a friend about this podcast. If you know someone who's looking for something new to listen to, feel free to spread the word about Outer Rim Reads. Lastly, as this season slowly but surely winds to a close, it's crazy, I know, I'm starting preparing for season two. I'd love to hear some listener feedback on what you all like about the show and, more importantly, what you think could be done better. I'll soon be giving more info on my direction for Season 2, so stay tuned. Now, without further ado, here is Episode 10 of Outer Rim Reads. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to episode 10 of Outer Rim Reads, a podcast that journeys chapter by chapter through various Star Wars novels, both in legends and canon. My name is Andrew Geha, and I'm your host along this journey. In this episode, we will continue through Star Wars Thrawn, covering chapters 17 and 18, and I'm joined today by not one, but two of my good friends, Douglas Dubois and Samuel Sturmer. Doug and Sturm, how are you guys doing today? Thanks for being on the show. Terrific. Thanks, yeah, mate. Not too bad, thanks. Thanks for having us back. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm always glad to have you guys back. Veterans of the podcast, so the, the <laughs> listeners already are familiar with your sweet accented voices. So <laughs> I'm glad to glad to have you back on to discuss these chapters. Because we're kind of in the 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 meat and potatoes of the book right now. I was thinking about it the other day. We're more than halfway through, so this is kind of like the you know, the final stretch almost. So I'm uh, excited to discuss these chapters with you guys. Yeah, a few things seem to be coming to a head in these next few chapters. Sure. Yeah, it's at least start to pick up and get exciting. It seems like there's a lot uh, a lot more action-packed chapters, especially with Thrawn and Eli. And then, I mean, Arinda Price's story takes a bit of a, a, bit of a, a good turn mm. for her. I can uh, dive right into my chapter summary for chapter 17 and we can get stuck right in. Let's go. Perfect. Thrawn and Eli travel to the small world of Sifar to help resolve a land dispute. Human colonists on Sifar accuse the native Afe clan of raiding their territory and demand a large piece of Afe land as concession. After listening to the human testimonies, Thrawn visits the Afe chief, Joko, to hear his account of the events. Joko insists the Afe attacks have been in retaliation against humans burning their cropland. Thrawn believes Joko and warns that the humans will launch a raid at nightfall. He requests that Joko evacuate his people from the sector he believes the humans to attack, and vows that he will end the conflict that night. After analyzing the cropland, Thrawn and Eli determine there is a vein of a valuable resource under the crops, explaining the human interest in the land. Thrawn and Eli stake out, preparing for the impending human raid. So. 
Like I said, we're into the thick of the book right now, and Thrawn and Eli are on yet another adventure. This one was uh, pretty different from the other ones that we'd uh, kind of read about where, I mean, I guess they're, they deal with smugglers here, but in a much more in-depth confrontation than when they briefly busted the, the mollusk uh, shellfish scheme. And, you know, we really get into quite a politically intense conflict. What were you guys' thoughts on this chapter as a whole before we kind of dive into the more detailed parts of it? Uh, First of all, when I initially read it, I sort of got a bit confused as to what the sort of whole purpose of this chapter was. After rereading it a couple of times, you sort of understand that it's a sort of gives the reader an impression of what has been going on in general, that Thrawn is going to these places and sort of working on these disputes that have sort of surfaced and he's been intrigued by is just sort of giving information to the reader of why he's chasing down each of these individual disputes and leads yeah and i think uh, also sort of from eli's point of view he sort of goes into how i guess right at the start it's all about another crisis another day sort of thing and you get the feeling that this sort of scenario could have been replayed 10 times over and we're just getting a look at at one of them to give you an idea of what they've been doing over Mm. a period of time and and Eli's sort of showing his frustrations about somewhat sort of monotonous and repetitive life that he's living in in his current career as well as his his frustrations with not moving up the ranks and um, it's kind of interesting from from his point of view I guess um, how things are playing out at the moment. Yeah, I think that's interesting that, especially from Eli's point of view, because like you said, he addresses this in this first scene, it's in his uh, point of view, and he's calling it another day, another crisis. And, you know, compared to the career path that he could have been on as the supply officer, as a reader, we would think the, you know, busting smugglers day in, day out would be kind of fun, you know, kind of action packed, kind of a, a great adventure. But to him, it's just like, well, here we are busting some more smugglers, firing some more blasters, you know, where he's kind of bored at this point. It's just like going is... through another manifest, right? <laughs> exactly. It's much more uh, hands on manifest. Um, this was very counter to what I guess what anyone else would think about his job right now but you know it's under Thrawn there is no you know every day is something new and and especially uh you know this case is is no different from that because like Sturm was saying we're we're getting a, a closer look at what their everyday smuggler busting runs look like because Thrawn talks with Eli in the scene that you know, they're talking about Night Swan and how there's been a lot more smuggling of rare metals, a lot more um, instances of, of riot and revolt around the galaxy. And they've had to address a lot of these situations and they're speculating as to whether Night Swan is behind all of this or, or not. And it's very interesting to see whether he has had a hand in all of these events across the across the galaxy, it seems. We don't know, but it seems like his influence is growing, and it seems like we're starting to see the beginnings of just different spots of rebellion and revolt around the galaxy, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and I think one of the other things I like is how he's sort of he's saying that Night Swan is giving these invitations to him or leaving his, his signature on certain capers or events for Thrawn to follow. It's kind of like that sort of Holmes and, and Moriarty, uh, you know, thing going yeah. on where where they're playing these mind games with each other. It's almost like they, they enjoy the, the chase. 
Yeah, definitely. I think sort of uh, Night Swan is initiating this sort of for a bit of fun, sort of testing what Thrawn's capabilities are and sort of giving him a difficult challenge and whilst sort of wreaking havoc across the galaxy. Yeah, it it does seem like he is pretty... I, w- I wouldn't say baiting Thrawn into this because, you know, Thrawn... It... Well, maybe he is because Thrawn just has, has been taking the bait, kind of gladly accepting these invitations um, to encounter... Uh, a situation that has Night Swan's hand in it. And Thrawn kind of smiles at Eli in this moment where he even says, like, don't you recognize an invitation when you see one? And Eli's kind of confused here because he thinks that it's kind of foolish from Night Swan to pretty much ask the most competent and accomplished even officer in the Imperial Navy to... Uh, to to come kind of break down one of his scenes because you'd think that a guy of Thrawn's caliber would be able to, you know, pinpoint these patterns and these trails back to who Night Swan actually is and, and find out who this guy is. But you know, it seems like as confident as Thrawn is, we have an equally super confident guy on the other side who who doesn't mind inviting someone of of Thrawn's tactical brilliance to these encounters to see what he can do which is it's very interesting from like the opponent point of view yeah 100 percent. and I think he already I mean it's debatable who sort of won that initial exchange over the um the Tabana gas cylinders but both probably sort of feel like they had a bit of a win they had a bit of a loss it was you know almost a draw so they're probably you know both being extremely clever people they probably want to prove who's the smartest at this point you know we can kind of guess that um their confrontations might be boiling down to maybe a final showdown so it's um very very interesting to see how how thrawn adapts to these various uh, although calm like there there are patterns that night swan is leaving it's uh, you know each situation though offers its unique challenges and with this land dispute um that's no different. Um, so let's talk about this land dispute um, on the planet Safar. So we gather that this native Afe clan are, are pitted against these human colonists. And my initial takeaways from just seeing the, you know, the human colonists demanding a large chunk of Afe land, the Afes are saying, you know, we, we've been on this land for hundreds of years. You can't just push us off this land. And, you know, we initially gather that they might be in the right in a, in a self-defense kind of way. I immediately thought of, uh, you know, for, from my point of view, American colonists forcing natives off their lands, but also just mm. human colonists in general just forcing natives off their land while they while they try to take land for themselves that even human colonization plagues star wars just as much as it plagues our world yeah i think zahn sort of relating it to um the world that we live in so that readers have an understanding of what it must feel like um but it's a good sort of information into the everyday goings on of the star wars universe that these things happen on all different planets even minor little ones that we've never heard of um so it's quite great to read yeah and i mean where i come from it's it's a very pertinent sort of issue the uh, the lasting effects of colonization and obviously like you say in the u.s as well um we could probably all blame Sturm since he's the he's the Englishman. Yeah. Um, Started with you, man. Definitely just my fault. <laughs> We've actually brought you on this show to incriminate you here and now. Yeah, that's right. So about colonization, Sturm. <laughs> Any particular thoughts? I'll be the the leader on this one. <laughs> oh wow! Very very. Oh, that's very fitting. 
<laughs> but it's funny uh, the, the sort of difference in attitude that you get from the two parties as well. Um, Thrawn meets such, I guess, sort of hostile resistance immediately from the, the colonisers, so to speak. Even sort of righteous indignation almost, if you know what I mean. Uh, whereas when he eventually goes and meets the, the native culture, they're weary, but they're understanding and they're willing to, to sort of work with him, if you know what I mean. That's a good point, because, you know, they travel to Safar, and the first they meet with uh, kind of like the, it's, it seems like kind of a town hall setting with the human colonist leaders giving their grievances directly to Thrawn. And like you said, they instantly address him with frustration and anger and indignation that, you know, they're saying, like, you didn't think our report sent to Coruscant was enough? You know, clearly they're the ones in the wrong, and we're, you know, we're acting in defense here. And there's a lot of names here that they're keeping track of, um, a lot of different figures here that are kind of lashing out at Thrawn, who's remaining pretty calm here, and it's just trying to hear their side of the story, but... It, it kind of it seems like they're almost right off the bat incriminating themselves with how <laughs> indignant and angry they are to Thrawn, who is just trying to play the moderator here. But um, I, I don't know. Did you guys gather that? I, I I didn't think it was a good look for them for the colonizers at all. <laughs> yeah, they instantly seemed uh, worried, didn't they? They went on the defensive sort of attitude, um, as if Thrawn was already blaming them before he'd even sort of had a discussion with both sides um, and it instantly yeah, incriminates them and makes them look the guilty party. Yeah, I don't think Timothy Zahn is trying to leave you in any doubt as the reader as to, <laughs> as to which side is the, the shady bunch. Yeah, definitely. It's, I'm glad that we're all on the same page because it seemed kind of obvious. Yeah. Um, but there, there was an interesting point where Thrawn is remarking to them that the total reports between the humans and the Afe clan suggest that, you know, the matter isn't as black and white as as it seems, where it, it is very much disputable, where the humans are saying, no, 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 we're the victims here. But Thrawn's, you know, he's saying he's trying to give credit to both sides of the story before he makes his judgment. And one of the human leaders here, last name of Pulsary, says, uh, you know, no one in their right mind would believe the Afe clan's reports. And <laughs> Thrawn here says, and I quote, are you suggesting I am not in my right mind? Thrawn asked mildly. But yeah. I think even her, her answer after that was kind of a facepalm moment from me as as a human myself, you know, just she says, and I quote, I'm just saying that you can't trust the safari to tell the truth. That clan thing of theirs means everyone always just repeats what the clan leader says. And it just sounded very ignorant to me mm. uh, and just like a lack of human understanding of a, of a complex culture where it's like, oh, that clan thing. I was just kind of grossed yeah. out by that. It's but also then, the sort of <laughs> subtle dig at aliens again, the fact that these humans are clearly the the better ones and these aliens who they clearly look down upon have these silly religions and, and clan things they call it um that make them untrustworthy and then what really cracked me up was then like only a, a few sentences later they ask someone else their opinion and he basically just goes uh yeah what they said <laughs> so, yeah oh, that, that and that clan thing, yeah. what they're talking about <laughs> 
It's, uh, and, and and he'll be, I think that was uh, Clay Tanu, and we'll, we'll see a little bit more of him. But he seemed kind of the odd one out there where he was kind of zoning out, it seems, and then mm. Thrawn kind of snaps him back into the moment, back into reality. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that, that clan thing was what they said. Which <laughs> exactly. Was, <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and Thrawn and Eli, after they leave this uh, encounter, Eli kind of counts Tanu off as, you know, he didn't think that he could be one of the conspirators here, you know, if there was a conspiracy against the Afe clan. Because he was like, he, he just, he seemed so out of it. There's, there's no way. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, that was kind of a funny moment where... It's just not there. <laughs> um, but yeah, Thrawn, before he leaves, he tells them that, you know, he hasn't come to a decision that he's going to personally go to the disputed territory and that he had been invited there by the Afe clan chief. And he notes that there's some quick expressions and, and body stance changes on the human's part. He says that they're brief but sufficient. And, you know, we're not told what those kind of reactions were, but we can assume that it seemed like Thrawn knew what he was doing when he said, oh, yeah, by the way, they invited me to go check out the territory as well. So I'm going to go hear their side as well. He was kind of baiting a response from there, it seemed. Mm, definitely sort of trying to get a, or gauge a reaction from them to sort of see their emotions and understand sort of what's going on and whether these guys are telling the truth or clearly lying. And and also he sort of prods Eli about his sort of intuition on it as well. And it seems like they're both pretty much on the same track. I like that moment where on the way over to the Afe territory that's under dispute, Thrawn does ask Eli who he thought um, on the human side might be behind this whole issue because, you know, they both can gather that, all right, there's got to be some conspiracy that they're concocting to get this land. It does seem kind of suspect from the get-go where out of nowhere they're just demanding this chunk of Afe land. So, you know, they both can gather that the humans are at fault here. It's just a matter of who. And I thought it was a nice moment where Eli kind of lists the names that he thinks are involved here, and Thrawn compliments him in saying that his skills have noticeably improved. And I thought coming from Thrawn, who doesn't use a lot of emotion and he kind of uses choice words, even saying to Eli, you know, your skills have noticeably improved, that's that's a lot coming from Thrawn, which is kind of like a, a, a great moment for Eli, I thought. Yeah, this was... Actually, I thought one of my favourite interactions between them, because Thrawn asks him to sort of give his thoughts of what he thinks, and Eli just goes into each individual person, sort of breaking down what he thinks and whether they're involved in this conspiracy or not. And yeah, as you said, Thrawn congratulates him as he gets the majority of it correct. Uh, and it sort of just shows that Thrawn is, he's been with Eli so much that he's rubbed off on him or has taught him as much as he knows um, and Eli has really learned and is able to apply it to any sort of situation and has improved his sort of detective skills. Yeah well I mean Eli was recognised for, for what he could bring to the table sort of right at the start of the book and just through th Thrawn's sort of encouragement to share his findings and, and sort of work through things together they've you know He's managed to pass on some additional skills to Eli and he's just becoming more and more useful to him. Yeah, definitely growing into the person that Thrawn has been grooming him to be. And it was a great moment from Eli because he lists the names of who he thinks were involved. And after Thrawn complimented him, he asked him, okay, who did I miss? And Thrawn said, none. So you know, we're just seeing Eli, really, he's progressed a lot and he's able to look at 
even just that town hall interaction and gauge body language and their responses and tones. And he's able to, you know, put together a a report that's um, impressive to Thrawn, which says a lot. So in this next scene, they're at the Afe clan meeting house with uh, the chief, Joko. And before we go into their conversation, I just want to address the description of the, uh, <laughs> the Afe. Uh, I'm just going to say what we're given. It says that they are stick insects with rhodian snouts and short red fur with simultaneously grating, whiny, and melodious voices. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I was actually so intrigued by this description that I actually searched up their species in Google um, to sort of see what they look like. And the picture that came up is from one of the Thrawn comics, I think, that sort of goes through the events of the book, but in comic form. Um, And they do look quite funny. It's really a (laughs) good one to look up if you can. And the description of their sound, I mean, it's like sweet and sour and salty all at the same time it's <laughs> you know it's like i'm trying to Sugar imagine what spice. that sounds like <laughs> right i i really want to know if there's like a sound bite out there that's an impression of this this voice because it, it sounds like you know when someone's learning violin for the first time it's always starts out as the shrieky noise so pair that with like you know pair that with nails coming down a, cr- a chalkboard but then also like it's you know a little kid whining for food but then also you know maybe like Doug doing some melodious riffs on the guitar at the same time so like put all those together and I think we it's, it was just total I I just didn't know what to make of that combination of sounds it, it just was nothing like I ever heard of. Um, so the, the chief is giving his side of the story here where he says that the humans had been crossing into their lands and, and burning their fields and Thrawn is saying that he hopes he can resolve the situation before it reaches a loss of life. Because in the human raids and the Afe counterattacks, no one yet had been killed. And Thrawn is saying that, yeah, he, he doesn't want anyone to die. Which I thought was, it was a small moment, but I thought that was another one of those points where Thrawn sets himself apart from the typical Imperial. Because I, I would assume any other officer r- wouldn't really care for the loss of life, let alone non-human loss of life. But not the case for Thrawn. Yeah, that's the first thing that jumped up to me as well. And, and I think Chief Jocko is sort of clearly impressed by what he's hearing because... It's not quite what he was expecting from this, uh, you know, imperial officer coming to to meet with him. He he probably expected them to take the side of the of the colonists. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that the Afi clan sort of know the reputation of the imperials and understand that they don't really care for the collateral damage. But this Thrawn person that he's now met accepts and understands that he does care for this collateral damage and so it takes him by surprise and I think that sort of helps Thrawn sort of get along with them. Yeah, and I think that it was, you know, it could be both a tactical move by Thrawn to get in the good graces of Chief Joko, but at the same time, I think that it it was very genuine from Thrawn where he doesn't want anyone Mm. to die there. And I think it was also a great moment from Thrawn where he notes to Chief Joko that the meeting house that they're in is is full of this rich art, and he, he compliments the artwork and the culture of uh, of the Afes. And 
you know, Chief Joko, that, that also catches him by surprise where he's like, you know, few of the Empire would even care for that and, you know, even fewer outside would uh, would appreciate it. And so Thrawn, you know, he, he's pulling the right strings here, but I think, you know, just knowing Thrawn himself, he does care a lot about art and, and hmm. sees it as really valuable. I don't know. It was it was a great moment where Thrawn, yet again, in, in multiple ways, is kind of clashing with that preconception of what an Imperial officer is, which I thought was a, a great moment. Which is illustrated throughout the story as well. I mean, there are so many examples of, I suppose, the typical Imperial officer. We get some good ones, but we also get a lot of the the ones that do fit that stereotypical sort of preconceived notion of what an Imperial officer is. Yeah, it's, you know, unfortunately, we've been exposed to many more, you know, kind of typical imperial officers that we would come to expect, you know, it's kind of condescending, arrogant, power hungry, and yeah. and not enough of guys like uh, Thrawn and Virgilio and Chino and all that. Mm. So it's, it's good to see Thrawn kind of striking a, a good note with Joko here. So he believes Joko in that the Afes have been acting out of self-defense and he, they all travel to the field that has been under dispute. And, you know, Joko pulls up this big hollow map that he can show them the field on a large scale. And they're looking at the air traffic um, routes above hand to see if anyone in particular would have been traveling across that field recently, if any humans would have. And they're, they're also looking at the crops themselves. And they notice that there's like this group of stocks that were shorter and thinner than the others and that they kind of formed this winding path into the center of the field. And it looks like they've been tampered with. So that was a moment of intrigue there. And then Thrawn says that he thinks that the humans are going to be attacking that night and that he kind of figured that the humans knew that, okay, if he's going to speak with the Afe clan, you know, he doesn't believe us and that he knows he's on to us and that he thinks that they're going to make the, kind of like this last ditch raid that very night. What did you guys gather from from this scene before they kind of uh, stake out? The big thing for me was sort of Eli's intelligence. When Thrawn sort of notices that these crops are sort of not fully developed, Eli provides an explanation, um, which is correct. And then when Thrawn is talking about how the humans are going to attack tonight um eli goes through the motions and sort of works out why this is the case um and he sort of really shows why thrawn picked him as his sort of left-hand man um as he's able to sort of gather this information and, and be intelligent and get all these things right yeah exactly and one of the other sort of things uh, i really liked was that classic sort of thrown confidence he he seems to be ahead of both sides and he's ultimately confident that he can bring a resolution swiftly and um i think chief joko is clearly impressed by that but he still shows that little bit of resentment i suppose towards the mm. empire he's not completely won over but he's he's hopeful that that this guy could be a bit different because you know thrawn is here clearly on his side and you know he's promising he says it will end tonight which is it's short it's simple it's a deadly promise and you know joko is wary but you know thrawn is promising imperial justice here and uh, you know which is good for the afe clan because they've been you know ha having suffered a lot of different raids and they've planned these counterattacks to try and get back at the humans and the situation is very much escalating and here thrawn is he comes in day one he's like all right i'm ending this right now uh which <laughs> is great from thrawn <laughs> um 
but it's also a great a great analysis of the situation because um, before they part ways, he asks that Joko only use uh, his guards to defend his villages that night and to not counterattack or pursue the humans because Thrawn had kind of pieced together with Eli that this was all part of the humans' game here where they wanted to try and bait the Afe clan closer and closer to their own territory to the point where humans would die at their hands and it would kind of paint the humans in a better light and the the Afe clan would have to give up the land and they would be the villains in that respect. And Thrawn saying, only defend yourselves tonight. I'll handle this. Uh, And he even gave over some stormtroopers to help defend I was again struck where he he said that even his stormtroopers would have their blasters set on stun and that he's really insistent that no one's going to die because he knows the consequences here. You can only escalate things between the two parties really, kind of. So he's keen to avoid that and, and just bring this resolution as swiftly as he can. Yeah, he's trying to sort of make sure that nothing gets out of control. He's... Um, if yeah, if one side thinks that he's defending them more than the other, there's going to be a, a sort of a riot and a dis- bigger dispute than there already is. So he's trying to keep as much peace as he can between them. Which is great from Thrawn, and again, again, it's just counter to anything that we'd expect from uh, an Imperial officer, but very much what we've come to expect from Thrawn. So yeah, that kind of ends this chapter where he tells Joko, you know, evacuate your people from this sector that they're going to raid. I'll handle this. You can have some stormtroopers to help you, but, you know, Thrawn and Eli, they're both going to be able to to take on this situation, and they kind of stake out from there and are waiting for the raiders to show up. And But yeah, that, that kind of ends the chapter there. Did you guys have any thoughts on the, on the chapter as a whole before we move on to 18? Not especially, just that it's sort of classic Detective Thrawn working things out as fast as anything, and getting the job done to the best that he can. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I think it, it, it sets up the next chapter quite well, so um, we can move on into that. Yeah, it did seem kind of like a, a setting the stage chapter rather than a chapter of a lot of substance. So, yeah, let's let's get on into 18. I'll give my summary, and then we can break it down. Perfect. Three land speeders full of humans arrive at the field. Thrawn notices that Clay Tanu, One of the conspirators is amongst them. They notice Tanu inspecting the material the humans start digging up from the field. After Eli checks Tanu's background, they discover the substance to be a compound that could be refined into spice. Thrawn calls for Stormtrooper and TIE Fighter backup, and asks for TIE Lieutenant Gim to accompany the reinforcements. Tanu spots the approaching Imperials, and the humans attempt to escape. Thrawn and Eli engage the raiders, stunning all of them and trapping Tanu. Thrawn has Lieutenant Gin map out the spice veins in his tie using a short-range sensor, and the Thunder Wasp turbolasers fire upon the cropland, disintegrating the spice. Although Thrawn ended the conflict, Chief Joko is outraged at his croplands being destroyed. Imperial High Command is furious at Thrawn yet again for not following protocol. So... Before we dive into the humans showing up and what ensues from there, I thought the last bit of this internal monologue to start the chapter was epic, where I'm just going to quote it here. There are things in this universe that are simply and purely evil. A warrior does not seek to understand them or to compromise with them. 
he seeks only to obliterate them. And I was just like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a way to start off the chapter. <laughs> yeah, my notes was much the same. I'd highlighted that that piece and sort of said, if you're looking for clues in this chapter's initial monologue, that, you know, Thrawn's perhaps sees something more sinister than an attempt to steal Dunium or, or and he is in no sort of two minds about what he wants to do about it. He's gonna yeah, it's, he's gonna destroy it. Sort of the perfect foreshadowing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely for, from especially what we see what happens at the end of the chapter. <laughs> Uh, so yeah the humans arrive there's i think 12 raiders in total and they start you know they just drove straight through the stalks uh, through the crops and it's clear to thrawn that that raid would be the last one for a while because like the humans didn't care whether they ran over crops they didn't drive through the uh kind of like the path of shortened crops that we had uh, heard about in the other chapter they just drove straight over the field uh, and started digging and yeah they see tanu and he, he's testing this material and Tanu was actually the human in the town hall meeting that was just seemed totally out of it, just like dazing off. And it's like, oh, yeah, that, that clan thing. That's that's this guy right here, which I guess I wasn't expecting him to be kind of at the center of this raid. So I was kind of caught off guard when they noticed that it was him present and not like one of the other humans that was a lot angrier. He's sort of the surprise one. That that's, you can imagine him as being one of those computer geeks and hackers behind this <laughs> big, big plot or whatever. Um, uh, and yeah, he doesn't really show his true colours to begin with. But then, as he's sort of forefronting this raid, you, you sort of see that he's the one of the the key members of this conspiracy. Yeah, and I think it's entirely uh, intentional on Timothy Zahn's part. Mm. I mean, he's he's clearly sort of leading us to think, oh, maybe we can discount this guy. I guess when Eli's talking about his initial impressions and Thrawn's going through it with him, they, they both seem to agree that, hey, this guy didn't seem to be up to much. So I, I think, yeah, Zahn's, Zahn's certainly intentionally led us down that path only to, to turn it around on us. Yeah, to turn the table on us right there. But, uh, you know, Eli and Thrawn, they, they respond pretty quick once they realize who it is. And, you know, Eli had run his background check, and, and they find that Tanu himself, he, he was a crop geneticist, and that in secondary schooling, uh, he had studied organic chemistry, which I thought was cool just to see some parallels to, you know, subjects that we would study. And then it's like, oh, yeah, or organic <laughs> chemistry exists in Star Wars, too. Um <laughs> I guess the the big takeaway from that moment was that Eli found out that Tanu's brother had been arrested for possession of spice, uh, specifically a strand of spice called Skarn that grew dun, 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 under grain fields. <laughs> <laughs> so it's yeah. like, well, Perfect shit, they're digging up one. spice. <laughs> yeah, the um, what I really liked about that was Thrawn had asked Eli to do this background check on Tanu. And nothing specifically had come up, but Eli's ingenuity sort of went beyond the box and looked and searched up his brother just in case anything came up there. And then that provided the information that we then needed. So it's a Eli really is sort of getting involved and is, is doing his bit. That was a good point, because I guess if Thrawn had asked someone else to look up Tanu, they might have stopped at Tanu's file when they just realized, oh, he, he has nothing of note here. But you're right, Eli kind of took it one step further, and I was like, all right, nothing on Tanu. 
in particular, let's look at his family and see if there's any patterns from there. And yeah, like you said, that was, that was a great moment from Eli uncovering that, which kind of reveals this, you know, this more sinister plot here where when he mentions to Thrawn that, you know, that this is a compound that can be turned into spice that they're digging up, his tone kind of goes darker and harder and his thoughts give us that you know spice is it's a really terrible drug that's that ruins a lot of lives across the galaxy and if these guys aren't stopped it's going to end up with more lives at stake you know outside of of this conflict between the human colonists and and the afe clan we don't know how far this spice scheme goes which I don't know, when you guys read that they were digging up this compound that could be turned into spice, did you think that this might stretch out far, uh, further beyond this conflict between just the two groups on, on Sifar? I thought it might be, maybe, that they were selling to one of the uh, sort of gangster syndicates or something um, that would then sort of wreak havoc for a big, maybe sort of a distraction but the sort of the the main point that I took away from this was how sort of instantly alert Thrawn and Eli became when they learnt that it was spice. They they sort of realised that this is a dangerous sort of substance, and that they really must get this under control and prevent it from getting um, distributed or made into proper spice. It shocked me that they were so sort of taken aback that it was just spice. And I think maybe part of that was that it doesn't seem to really fit the the signature of what they've come to expect from Night Swan either. You know, I don't think they received this invitation, so to speak, from Night Swan and expected to turn up to a, a spice racket, you know. Yeah, definitely, because previously it had just been... Night Swan kind of having metals like dunium um, smuggled out of planets or, and you know, yeah or tabanagas yeah, yeah. Uh, and and nothing like spice before then yeah this is not fitting the pattern that they've come to expect from Night Swan so you know even Thrawn's caught off guard here and and this is a whole new element to Night Swan's game that you know that no one was expecting so you know Thrawn immediately calls over the comlink for stormtroopers and ties uh, that he had already had pre-prepared to to head on over there so they would take 20 minutes to get there and you know he, he knows that all right we mean business and he doesn't need i think he he was having like 20 stormtroopers get sent over there 20 stormtroopers against 12 armed but n- not heavily armed raiders it, it's more than enough so you can see that thrawn is treating this very seriously here so tanu after thrawn calls the reinforcements i guess some time has passed as, as they're still observing and tanu spots the lambda shuttles heading on over that way with his uh, electro binoculars and i thought for a second it's not very inconspicuous to have a couple of shuttles fly in but <laughs> do you think that thrawn knew that and and he was taking that opportunity to for him and Eli to distract them when they were, you know, kind of put into a panic by these approaching huge shuttles that are just flying in. Potentially, yeah. I You'd think that Thrawn wouldn't have made that sort of mistake. Um, and if you sort of look at it again, it may be that it's, a, it's at that moment that Thrawn and Eli take their positions for the um, sort of assault. So it could sort of be that yeah, like a distraction. I'm sure he's, you know, willing to use that as a distraction as as sort of part of the operation, but it's also probably born out of necessity. I mean, um, 
you know, either there was a lot of stormtroopers just standing around or hiding, um, or, or they had to be brought in by ship. Because there's only so many ways that they can have reinforcements show up, so it's kind of like a pressing situation at this point where, you know, they have to act, and even if it means a couple of shuttles just flying in, I guess there's no real alternative there. So Thrawn does go to take up a position, I think like about 100 meters to Eli's right, and before he leaves, he, he tells Eli, you'll know when to open fire. And Eli kind of, he's confused and says, I, I'll know? How will I? But by then, Thrawn had already slipped out into the darkness, which that reminded me of like one of those Batman Gordon's moments where Batman always like disappears, <laughs> right? <laughs> when Gordon's like, wait, yeah. what do you mean? <laughs> he's still talking he's to gone. himself, basically, and then looks around. Oh, damn. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good one. So Thrawn is is both Sherlock and Batman. So <laughs> that's confirmed. I, I love that. Quite, so. I love how he does that, though. I mean, he's it's kind of classic Thrawn that he's trusting Eli to know what to do and when to do it, even if Eli isn't so sure he even knows what to do. You know? Yeah. When uh, I first read that, it was sort of something I would expect a a Force user to say. Because obviously they can feel and sort of know when it's the right moment. But for Thrawn to trust Eli, who is still an en- ensign, with this task of knowing when in a big mission that they've got, and trusting him to do that is quite a step. Yeah, it's a lot of trust that he's put in Eli here. Because I can imagine that Thrawn's looking at this like, all right, 12 to 2... I like those odds <laughs> um, <laughs> where Eli's like, no, no, no. <laughs> but you're right. That, that is a big trusting moment from Thrawn where he's kind of putting this moment on he and Eli's shoulders. And he's not even, you're right. He's not even telling Eli, all right, so when, when they go over here, that's when you know when to start opening fire. He just says, you'll know when. And that's, you know, he, he it just shows how much confidence he has in Eli that Eli clearly doesn't have in himself but it's just good to see that Thrawn still, like at all times, has this great vision for who he knows Eli can be. It's just a matter if Eli can can accept it and you know discover it for himself. Which I don't know. I I, I like that moment a lot too. Yeah, same. And from a writing perspective as well, it, it serves to heighten the tension for the reader because we don't know exactly what to expect. Where where again, yeah. sort of put in Eli's shoes. Will we know when you know when to do what we need to yeah. do? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, Just, I really liked it. Yeah, causing that little bit more suspense keeps the reader interested and um, adds to the story. Yeah, definitely, it's a, a good moment from Zan. Yeah, good writing from Zan. So someone had told Tanu when he was telling the humans, all right, we, we got to go. There's two shuttles heading over. This guy says, and I quote, it's probably just that idiot imp bringing in a late buffet dinner or something. And I was thinking, how much food could two Lambda shuttles hold? <laughs> like, how many pizzas? <laughs> Does he think this guy's some, yeah, monster eater or something? <laughs> I mean, Thrawn's got to stay fit. Like, you know, he's, a couple of whole he's very physically capable. <laughs> Right? You know, I'd, I would love to find out what Thrawn's diet looks like. Like, yeah. I, I have no clue. I don't think anyone does, but he's he's yeah. in great shape. I don't know. It'd be a lot <laughs> of lean proteins, eat. I'm reckoning. Yeah. yeah. Imagine a lot of spinach. You know? A lot of spinach. Yeah, I was about to say, he, he eats those veggies. He's yeah. good about the fruits. Yeah, I, I need a spinoff book about Thrawn's yeah. diet. Just he's got to sp- keep his blue complexity well and well and clean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to keep those red eyes like glinting at all. <laughs> Thirty-minute meals. Probably eight. Thrawn win. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Thrawn's Food Network channel. I, I don't know. <laughs> mm. uh, whatever so... it is, the, this guy that shouts that is sort of a bit of an idiot, isn't he? He's <laughs> he yeah. assume that he has no idea what's going on, just 
tries to make a funny comment. Doesn't he? He's it's not like, the brains uh, of the operation. <laughs> yeah, clearly, you know, he's the Tanu of this situation. So. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, what? Oh, yeah, dinner. <laughs> so. yeah, he's got something on his mind. Yeah, got the spice, which is good for him. You know, not thinking about drugs, but, you yeah, know, not true. really the time to think about food, I guess. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, from where Thrawn's set up, he starts to open fire on their land speeders, and he disables a couple of them. You know, the firefight ensues from there where they're pinning down Thrawn at where his fire is coming from. And then Eli kind of notices that when they all had their backs turned firing at Thrawn, he realized, oh, this is when I was supposed to open fire, <laughs> when they're conveniently set up in his line of sight. And yeah, he starts, uh, you know, they, they have their blasters on stun and he's he's able to take down six of them before they realize what was happening. Like, oh, wait, someone's pulled off a flank. Um, <laughs> and... Um, but that was, you know, cool for Eli doing some work and, and they turn to open fire on him and a few seconds later there's silence and, and Thrawn is standing over them and they're all stunned and Tanu is trapped at his land speeder. And, you know, we have this moment where Tanu is kind of just panicking and he says, oh, I had, you know, I had nothing to do with it. And Thrawn's like, yeah, you could have sabotaged their efforts if you wanted to, and <laughs> but you didn't. And then, you know, Tanu kind of dropped all pretense there. And as he's kind of like arresting Tanu, he he says, and this is like, it's just a great moment. He says, and I quote, his end will come. Yours has arrived. And right on cue, the shuttles and the TIE fighters just swoop on overhead. Yeah. Like perfect timing. Like, like with a little flair for the dramatic there from Thrawn, like your end has come. Shuttles fly in. It was like, it was great, you know. I wonder if they like had rehearsed that beforehand. Um, yeah, and when I say this, movie. <laughs> um, so yeah, they had gathered from Tanu that the human conspirators had buried their spice supplies, or like the compound uh, that could be turned into spice. They'd been burying their resources. And that brings in why Thrawn had asked for this Lieutenant Gim to fly in. Because uh, we can gather that he is a very skilled pilot, and they had found this sensor in the land speeder that Thrawn had given to Gim that could kind of map out uh, and, and detect where the spice was below ground. And so this next scene, the, the plan that Thrawn had, I, I was just blown away because it just was not anything that I was expecting, where he had Gim kind of fly over low to the ground because the sensor was only like a 20 meter range. Um, so he had him fly over and map out this spice vein and then the Thunder Wasp just lit up the cropland where the spice was mapped out. So pretty much just having like an orbital assault on this <laughs> spice vein, which was just incredible. Yeah, and as it says in the introductory bit, he literally obliterates the ground um, and destroys the spice using this technique. And um, Eli says that he, it's one of the craziest things that's ever been done. The manoeuvre from the TIE fighter to the destroying it from the turbo lasers of the Thunder Wasp orbiting the planet. Just to destroy some spice. It's a, it's a crazy plan. It must have been amazing to watch. I, I want to see this realized visually at some point. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. You know, just like... Uh, <laughs> where's the instant replay, you know? <laughs> um, when they're analyzing the tape afterwards, I, I, want, to, I want to be there to yeah. watch that. And if you, if, uh, you, if you think about it, the uh, Thunder Wasp is orbiting above this planet and it has to pinpoint its location to these little spice exactly sort of mines right. underground from i'm guessing what is maybe a 30 40 mile sort of distance from the 
yeah. planet's uh, surface. It's just, it's crazy. And and Thrawn actually says, doesn't he? He, he invites the challenge from the Thunder Wasps, Turbo Lasers captain or whatever. Try and hit this mark. <laughs> Which is great confidence in his crew. That's a great point. I wonder if the Thunder Wasp was in orbit or if it was in low atmosphere. I have no... But either way, I that's felt like I read that range. it was in, in orbit. Um, that's I sort brilliant. Of, yeah, it, it gave me sort of quite a shot that it was that accurate. But Wow. Yeah. Dude, where was that aim when they were fighting the rebels, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you needed that guy on the weapons, yeah. Yeah, dude, I wonder what happened to that gunner, I guess, you know. And as precise as, as they may well have been with the with the turbo lasers, you can imagine the the sort of destructive fallout of just blasting the mm. ground like that. And I guess that sort of leads into um, yeah. where, where we sort of end up with Chief Joker. Yeah, that's yeah. That kind of invites us into the next scene because you know Thrawn did end the conflict, but not the way that anyone was expecting. And you know, obviously, Joko is is pissed. You know, he just had a bunch of we don't we don't know how long this vein of spice compound ran, but you know, still having your cropland just incinerated. <laughs> Because Thrawn just said, like, Imperial justice will be served. But, you know, Joko couldn't have known that Thrawn's version of Imperial justice would be very different uh, <laughs> than what's traditional. Um, and so Joko is mad at Thrawn, and Thrawn has this thought here where he says, or he thinks, and I quote, did the chief truly not see the pattern nor understand the result? And I thought as as brilliant a plan as this was from Thrawn, he ended that conflict by just kind of... Uh, destroying the humans means like their incentive to even return to that land do you think he was a bit naive in this moment where it's like not everyone's going to understand the situation as he does and in the void that's not filled by understanding we we see anger and frustration and resentment that you know now joko is feeling towards him was it naive of thrawn to kind of expect joko to see the bigger result here the bigger picture yeah, I felt that it was sort of classic Thrawn. He does the right thing, he gets the job done, but he's done it in a in a way that's different to everyone else and sort of has, has controversial views. And this is sort of, I don't know whether it's a specific sort of chiss thing or whether it's just Thrawn specifically. There's something that doesn't quite click where he understands sort of these emotions and, and clearly these the Afi clan have lived here forever and it, it's part of their way of life, this, this farming that he's just sort of destroyed. Um, and so for him trying to get them to understand that it was the right thing to do, I would say, yeah, it's a, it's a bit naive of Thrawn. Yeah, uh, and I think we see it sort of time and again with the trouble he keeps getting in with the Imperial High Command or you know, his, his dealings with the political side of the empire is that he, he thinks through everything in a very logical manner to him it makes perfect sense and he doesn't necessarily get the the kind of political subtleties that the, the people on the other side of the fence uh, are feeling yeah there's nothing really subtle about you know orbital orbital strikes <laughs> on cropland um yeah. you know because because yeah high command is furious with him and does kind of show Thrawn's continuous naivety maybe uh, on the political scene but I do think there is a a good moment of understanding from Thrawn here where he's telling Eli that he's understood that 
high command, they want a commander who kind of follows by the book, who asks for their advice before doing things. And that like a lot of these admirals, their goal to that rank is purely from a point of just exercising authority over people. And Thrawn has no interest in that. He he's that's not about him. That's not his motives. That he tells Eli that he knows that there's certain jobs that only he can do and that it goes beyond someone just wanting to be an admiral to exercise authority over people. Like not everyone can get the job done in the kind of like the most efficient way. Like not everyone would kind of seek that path that he is. And you know, he's he's come to understand that, but I don't know. Do you think that he has come to expect that at every turn, high command is just going to, you know, just be pissed at whatever he does and he just does it regardless because he knows that's the way to get the results that he needs? Yeah, I think he's, um, he goes for results rather than the blowback that it will cause him. He doesn't really understand the politics of the empire yet. And so he sort of ignores it and does pretty much what he wants. He he has, I reckon, this idea that the Emperor himself quite likes Thrawn and, and the way he gets things done. Um, so he sort of has that in the back of his mind that he he's not going to get chucked out that easily with the backing of the, the Emperor. The big man, yeah. And he also seems to be, I think, showing a little bit more of an understanding of of how that sort of political hierarchy works in the Empire here as well. I think he sort of mentions that he's found that many admirals aspire to that rank because of a wish to exercise control and authority, and such leaders are threatened if officers of lower rank solve difficult problems without them. And it was kind of an interesting insight there. He has been quite politically naive uh, in the past, but he's showing a little bit more of an understanding there. Yeah, he's he's definitely becoming more, you know, having a keener eye towards the political game. But still, there's mm. things to learn where, you know, he might come to understand what high command is expecting, but he was still kind of baffled at Joko's misunderstanding of, of the situation or kind of his displeasure of the results, even if it did end the conflict. So in this last scene uh, of the chapter, Eli is kind of walking through the corridors of the Thunder Wasp, and he's wondering just... You know, kind of some deep thoughts. He's he's thinking about truth, um, yeah. you know, not not dinner. You know, he's not thinking about you know target practice or whatever, or shipping numbers. I guess that's his thing. He's thinking about the truth and thinking that he and Thrawn have chosen like time and time again to stand by the truth of their actions and to you know to tell like what really happened, what they needed to do, and it only had ever gotten them in trouble there. And then he runs into Lieutenant Gim. And you know, when I first read this part, I was wondering, okay, what's the significance here? You know, we, we haven't seen this character before. But we find out that Lieutenant Gim was actually one of the people who had attacked mm. Thrawn at the Royal Imperial. And I was like, shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and nothing has changed because he is just really contemptuous towards Eli and saying, oh, so you're still an ensign. And, you know, and it goes on to say that, and I quote, despite what I'm sure were Commander Thrawn's best efforts, I wasn't tossed out of the academy. Commandant Deanlark was able to pull enough strings to get the three of us transferred to Skystrike Academy. 
And I was like, dude, oh, Eli, I feel so bad for Eli here because he knows that Thrawn was the one who was like, you know, I'm not going to have them punished. Send them there. And he, he can't tell Gim here. He has to hold on to that truth and kind of let Gim just walk all over him. I, I felt so bad for Eli. Yeah, he's um, it's a difficult situation for Eli because obviously he could say something and try and get the upper hand, but he doesn't want to do that because Thrawn obviously kept it quiet for a reason. But, yeah, when this this guy that attacked them is now higher than Eli, he must be feeling sort of really down about himself. I, I simultaneously loved and hated the end to this chapter because <laughs> yeah. Gim is still obviously such a jerk. He's still this trust fund baby who, you know, ultimately got away with doing whatever he wanted and ended up in a, in a great job, and, and Eli has to salute him and you know bend over and just uh, and take it the sort of sheer injustice of it all must absolutely wind him up you know and i think um just like you said it serves to illustrate that truth really doesn't matter in the empire yeah especially in the empire where it kind of just runs contrary to to the narrative that's just been propagated and perpetuated by the empire where yeah no one really cares about the truth as long as they get where they want to be and yeah, Eli just has to kind of take it. And, you know, even Thrawn had seen Gim as like this great asset. He knew him to be a great pilot and had him sent there. And he still proved to be a great asset there. They couldn't have resolved that conflict without him. But he mm. was also just a, a great asshole, too. He's I still guess. such so. a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Yeah, it, I just it, felt bad for Eli. <laughs> it also shows that Thrawn way back in, it was chapter two or three maybe yeah had decided to that this guy was still despite being this massive jerk he was still an asset to the empire and then all the way till now he's been learning these fighter pilot training and then he helps them win this conflict it's just it's a great thing that Thrawn is able to just do what's best for the empire yeah, definitely. He he knew that he would be a great asset to the Empire so early on, and, it, and it's turned out to work exactly how Thrawn wanted, and yeah. you know, kind of here at the expense of Eli. You know, kind of a depressing end to the chapter, um, <laughs> where Eli's just, you, you gotta feel bad for him, because we, we love Eli, and there's this guy just walking all over him, but... Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully he'll get his uh, he'll, he'll get his revenge. But um, but yeah, that kind of ends the chapter there with that interaction, and that ends this episode. Uh, Doug and Sturm, thank you both for coming on the episode. We do have part two covering nineteen and twenty coming up, but uh, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate it. No worries, man. It's been great to jump on again. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it's been uh, fantastic to to be invited back again. Love I've, yeah. uh, I've loved following the podcast and. Uh, it's so much fun to be involved yeah i'm always glad to have you guys come on it's uh, it was it was great great breaking down these chapters and you know especially in the the really good parts of the book as it's turning out to be mm -hmm. so thank you guys so much i really appreciate it and listeners thank you so much for listening if you're interested in following the show on social media feel free to give us a follow on twitter at outer rim read pod and you can find us wherever you listen to your podcast whether that be spotify apple Podcasts, or more if you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, feel free to drop us a good review if you're enjoying the show. Good reviews on Apple Podcasts really help other listeners who are interested in Star Wars literature and shows like this to find Outer Rim Reads. Outer Rim Reads is created by Andrew Geha, it is produced by Andrew Geha, it is edited by Andrew Geha, and we will be back in two weeks with episode 11. 
So until then, sit back and enjoy. Try tuning in to the dueling ring on Terrace on the screen over there. Looks like the mysterious stranger is entering the ring.